thank you so much for listening to another episode of CX Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chisana. Tune in each week as we listen to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world sharing their personal stories about their teams, tools, process, and feedback. Check us out at cxchronicles.com today or listen on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Today's episode is brought to you by Help Scout, an easier, more powerful way to support your customers. Simple to start, powerful at scale, and proven to build better customer relationships. More than 12,000 businesses trust Help Scout as the backbone of their support team. Voted best ROI by customers on G2. Get your extended 30-day free trial at helpscout.com backslash 30. Tell them CXC sent you. Hey folks, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. I wanted to take a minute to call out some of the things that we're working on here at CXE today. Number one, CX scorecards. Take a minute to see how your team and your business is performing across the four CX pillars. Number two, CX boot camps. If you need somebody in your company or if you need one of your CX and CS leaders to get some additional training, coaching, fractional CXO support, ask us about our CX boot camps. We do a full deep dive with live coaching with your team to run through all the facets of the CX and the CS land. And number three, CX accelerators. We have been privileged to work with some incredible companies across the world, helping them build their CX and CS roadmap for success as they scale their business and as they scale their team. Do not hesitate to reach out to CX Chronicles today to ask us how we can help make customer happiness a habit within your business. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. Super excited. We have Chuck Frydenborg, CEO of Market Muse, joining us today. Chuck, why don't you say hello to the CX Nation, my friend? Hi, everybody. Adrian, it's great to be here. So we're, we're pumped to have you, Chuck. We're pumped to kind of get into the weeds today um, in terms of some of the things that you and the team over at Market Muse are building. Super cool company, super cool business, super cool focus area too, Chuck. So why don't you take a couple minutes, go ahead and set the stage for, for, for the listeners, give them a sense for who you are, sir, and a little bit about, about your background and set the stage for some of the things that you guys are doing over at Market Muse today. Okay. Well, um, for me, uh, Chuck Frydenborg, I'm actually a career uh, sales professional. Um, graduated from college, um, looking uh, in a very perplexed play, perplexed way at all the people that knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up, uh, and and you know started trying to you know search my way. Um, had an opportunity to. Uh, to join uh, a sales organization for a, a really exciting up-and-coming company based in Stamford, Connecticut called Gartner. Um, I talked to them about joining sales. They laughed at me. Um, <laughs> you know, they were like, do you have any experience? I was like, no. no. <laughs> and they were like, okay, we'll, we'll go get some. Yeah. Um, and I went and did that. Uh, I worked in various uh, roles in the organization for about three years, first learning the business, uh, research and advisory services and, and familiarizing myself with, with the tech issues that uh, Gartner helped its clients solve, uh, then moved into uh, a couple different client-facing roles that, that were not uh, 
quota bearing and then uh and then they gave me my shot um it was a struggle initially i i think the best most positive way to say it is that uh early on i outworked my mistakes uh but figured out uh in a short time that i'd kind of found my place and had uh, a pretty good amount of success uh, for a couple of years as an individual contributor uh, and then moved into leadership and uh, have been in, in had been in sales leadership from then uh, up until three years ago uh, when uh, I was asked to move into the CEO role uh, at Market Muse. Um, it's been the honor of my career. Uh, I found with a, a company this stage, so much of it is about all those things that I, I I focused on to ensure the success of my sales teams, my sales organizations, you know, discipline, uh, putting in a plan, executing on that plan, holding yourself accountable, uh, measuring, uh, introspection, trying to figure out every day what you can do as a group to be better. And uh, I learned a ton and it's been a lot of fun. I love it, Chuck. I think, you know, a couple of things. Number one, I think we're going to have way more customer focused business leaders in the future coming from the sales world. Absolutely. No, no doubt about it in my mind. I think that there is just number one, you've got individuals that have already gotten used to just some of the day-to-day -day items that go into managing customers, managing customer expectations, having customer conversations. Um, you just mentioned planning, executing on planning, success planning. These are all things that some of the best salespeople in the world and some of the best guys and gals that are driving revenue at their given companies, they do exceptionally well. It's where you build trust. It's where you build uh, relationships. It's where, and it, it, honestly, some of the best salespeople in the world, it's where you build friendships, right, Chuck? It's like literally where you become friends with some of the people that you're doing business with or that you're, 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 you're partnering with. And I think it's amazing to kind of hear how more and more of the future of CX and CS leadership. It derives from that type of place. It comes from sales. Or there's a lot of people that you just mentioned, you kind of hinted at it, but like, you know, some, it can be, not everybody can manage the constant, um, the goal bearing type of stuff that you, you kind of hinted towards, right? Like some people kind of, there's other things that drive them. There's other things that get them up in the morning to want to go to work and do their best job. And I get it, the measurement, the management, the goal setting, it can be, it's a huge part of the game, no doubt about it. But some people like kind of thinking about some of the more customer success oriented measures or some of the more uh, relationship or account-based management success measures instead of the constant quota bearing stuff that you kind of hit the towards. So I love it. Um, I, 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 first, first question before we dive into the pillars though, Chuck, is you mentioned the last three years building the team at Market Muse. Take a minute or two to set the stage before we even jump into the pillars. Give folks a sense for who you guys are at Market Muse, what type of customers or ICPs you're serving, and what are some of the big problem areas or some of the big challenge areas that you're working with your customers to solve every single solitary day? Sure. Thank you for that. Um, and yeah, Market Muse, really cool place. And what makes this place magic is the differentiated value uh, that it provides. Um, what we help our clients do is, is create the most comprehensive content that they possibly can that is best in class for topical authority. Love it. Um, why is that important? Uh, topical authority is, is the primary foundation of the criteria that Google and the other search algorithms use to, to determine you know, how, how content is going to uh, perform. Um, it's a crowded space. Uh, but we have a very unique um, value prop. 
Um, if somebody just wants to get a bunch of keywords so that they can build out a piece of content and, and have that search, have that piece of content satisfy that search algorithm criteria, there are tens and hundreds of different SEO agencies that they can go out to. But to us, that only solves half of the problem. Yes, you want to make your content visible to your target audience. But what happens when they say, oh, I see this. Let me engage with this piece of content. What happens then? Is it aligned with their intent? Does it answer the questions that they were seeking an answer to when they did the search in the first place? Yep. Does it inform them? Does it reflect positively on your brand? And most importantly, does it drive that desired action or outcome, whatever that is, click-through, conversion rate, purchasing action? Yep. What we're focused on is ensuring not only can they find it, but what happens once they do. Love it. I love it. It's it's Chuck, it's like for our listeners, talk about game changer in today's world, right? Especially if you're a growth focused business and you're thinking about how you can disrupt a given space, how you can go out and find a, uh, your, your, your first army of promoters that's going to help get the bonfire built, get the, the initial batch of revenue coming in, allow you to build out your team, allow you to build more of that content. I, I love how Market Muse helps with the acceleration of some of that content curation, that content research. You just give us a bunch of ideas in terms of why it's so critical and why companies need to be thinking about this. But the, the, the one part I want to hit on is just like, you nailed it, Chuck. It's like, there's so many growth companies that are so focused on going and finding the next logo, finding the next badge, finding the next deal, making the next deal squeal, that they forget that there is all of these touch points before you're ever going to get to that point, before even the best salesperson in your company is going to even have a shot at getting the deal signed. There's all these different touch points around attraction, awareness, consideration. How does, it, how does a potential leader opportunity even think about considering you as a potential solution in their business? And this is some of the, sp this is some of the stuff that you guys are helping uh, all of your customers working with. And this is some of the, or another way of thinking about it, man, the, uh, why I was excited about diving in with you today. This is like a part of the customer journey that so many founders and so many leaders and so many individuals that are focused on growing their companies. It's easy to forget this stuff, Chuck. It's easy to forget about some of the touch points that lead up to the deal or to the sale or to the revenue creation event. And, and, and it, just like anything else in life, man, taking a step back, zooming the camera back a little bit, looking at a bigger picture and seeing which stepping stones get you to that point, man, that's how you can start unlocking some gold for your business and start thinking about easy ways of increasing your conversions, increasing your ability to sell more deals and getting more people on board with your product or your service. So I, I, I love that. Yeah. And uh, let me just build off that a second, if I may, because what you what you just talked about, about those touch points that happen before a purchase. Right. Let me set up a, a relative comparison with my background that I just shared with you. Right. Starting my my sales career in, in the late 90s. Yeah, it's been that long. <laughs> that's uh, okay. Hey, that's experience, Chuck. It's crazy, man. How did it happen? It just went by so fast. Right. But, you know, you were in a pretty good pretty good position. You know, I, I mentioned I was, I was selling at Gartner, right? If a potential buyer of Gartner at that time wanted pricing information, there was no internet, yeah. right? They had to pick up the phone and call and say, I need to speak to a salesperson. If they wanted a case study, a testimonial, a reference, they had to come to me, 
right? Sure. Whatever they wanted as they were gathering the information that they they wanted to review to make a purchasing decision, whatever information they got, it was because I gave it to them. Yeah. That gave me complete control over that pre-sale, that buyer journey. Yep. Contrast that with now, right? I read something a couple months ago that said companies that are making a technology decision, those individuals are two thirds to three quarters of the way through their purchasing decision before they make their first outreach to the companies on that short list. Yep. What is happening in that two thirds to three quarters of that time? They are up on the internet and they are accessing your content. Yep. And they and that content is either driving them closer to you or you're pushing them to a competitor. Different, right? different. So if yep. every piece of content isn't optimized, is it if it doesn't accurately reflect your current pricing and current packaging, if it doesn't reflect on your brand and have your brand messaging bound and tight, yep. right? You are probably losing the majority of your pipeline before you even know it exists. Think about the impact of that on your business. It's huge, man. It's absolutely 100% huge. And it's this idea of we're living in a world where most consumers, right, whether B2B or B2C, they want um, value first relationships. They're going to work with vendors or providers or, or solutions that give that value before they ever have to spend a nickel on, on their willy or their wear. And the last part is what you just made me think about with the Gartner example there, Chuck, is you're absolutely right, man. You think about some of the smartest, um, some of the smartest buying teams or some of the individuals that are, are, are tasked or, or, or placed uh, with the responsibility of going out and finding a new solution, finding a new piece of software, finding a new vendor, finding a new partner to build the business on. I'm thinking about like, think about what Gartner teed off for the world. Now we have G2, we've got Captera, we've got Gartner, we've got all of these other review sites. And you're right. You're right, Chuck. Like, think about it. Like, you can go and get not only can you get pricing, you can get pros and cons, you can get screenshots, you can get video. I mean, you can literally see the tool in action before you ever have to tee up the damn phone call. You're absolutely right. Like you literally get to see all of this information before you ever even think about talking with a BDR or an SDR or an account executive at one of these firms to be able to see if it's if it is the solution that you need. So all of those thoughts, guys, just just perfect indicators for how critical your content management, content curation, content optimization, part of your marketing, your sales. And I would argue this is the beginning of the customer experience right here, Chuck, right? It's like, to yep. your point, it's like you, when you think about a holistic customer journey, that first piece of content, that first white paper, that first case study, Chuck just nailed it. That's like the first thing that a potential customer is going to see and either make a yes or know in their in their minds whether as to whether or not they want to move forward with the next step. So so awesome stuff. So I'm I'm pumped that we set the stage here, Chuck. Let's dive into the first C Explorer team, man. I'd love to have you spend a couple of minutes talking about the team that you've built at Market Muse. Give us a sense for kind of the lay of the land, some of the different teams or departments that are are coming together to not only think about content optimization and curation, but how they serve your customers today. Yeah, and I'll admit that we we have been working for a couple of years to to dial in on, on what the ideal structure is for our customer experience group. Um, when I joined the company, we had pivoted towards a real customer success, traditional customer success engagement workflow. Um, but what we found was that asking that team to also execute on, on renewals change that 
dynamic between them and the customer. Okay. Like there's a whole different feel for when you're viewed as a customer at somebody who is just personally invested to help. And when you're also the push, the person that will be driving for that renewal or, or potential upsell. Um, you know, look, I, I'm a career long salesperson. When people perceive that your motivation is to sell, they're perhaps a bit more guarded Definitely. about information that they're going to share with you. Yep. Um, and they're not as, as open with you about both the positives and the negatives uh, of their experience. Um, so we then split the, uh, the service organization into customer success and account management. Okay. Uh, and although there were some concerns that there would be redundancy there, what we have found is it actually works, works quite well. Uh, the customer success individuals, as I just mentioned, are simply focused on engaging the client, you know, driving value. If there are obstacles that are in the way of driving that client to adoption and maturity, we deal with those things. And that is the customer, customer success workflow. We then have the account manager who is more engaged in simply the sales cycle. Okay. Um, you know, we have obviously annual subscriptions. Actually, it's not obvious. We are a SaaS-based company, annual subscription, and they remain tethered to the account uh, for the express purpose of a sales transaction. Uh, those two roles are tethered closely together, uh, and it's actually worked very well for us. That's huge. And, and so, okay, so for first follow-up question here, and then because I think this is super interesting. By the way, Chuck, there's been a lot more conversations that I've had offline with, with, with different um, business leaders and executives around exactly what you just broke down. What, 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 what should an optimal or an ideal customer success um, individual be primarily responsible for? And is there a world still where you do need to have that tethering or that, that differentiation between when and where it's time to talk renewals, time to talk uh, uh, an uptick in seats, time to talk an uptick in, in even the numbers, right, Chuck? Because every every one of these software businesses, they have to adjust year over year. So you're right. Those are different, difficult conversations that can be, uh, obviously, there could be some passion in it because as soon as you start talking about some money or an uptick or an upsell or a cross-sell, you're right. People start to get a little bit squirrely on you, even if they're people that you have a brilliant relationship with. Um, but I, I, how did you guys kind of figure out sort of how to compartmentalize some of the granular things that you kind of just walked us through for what your CSMs are focused on versus your account managers. And then how often, so, so one, the first part of the question is just, how did you break those different tranches down of responsibility? But then the second question I have for you is what's the process kind of look like for the controlling or the monitoring of those two different focus areas? Cause I got to imagine every quarter, you probably learn new things, hear new things, see new things that, you know, requires the, the market news team to adjust or to pivot a little bit to kind of figure out how they can keep honing those two different um, ownership groups. Well, I, I'd start that that answer by by talking about how how fortunate or blessed that that I feel like I've been throughout my career um, at at either Gartner, uh, Rosetta Stone, or Acrolinx. Um, every step of the way, as a sales leader in those organizations. Uh, I had the privilege of being partnered with exceptional customer success leaders. Um, and what I found from those, those partnerships is that there is a tendency that we all feel where you, when you're trying to figure out how to optimize a, a, a customer experience, 
that it, it's just that one thing, right? If we just do this, then everything will be great. Yep. Th- there is a complexity to client relationships that not only make it clear to those of us that have to have to make sure those relationships are the way they should be and that you're offering an optimal client experience to as many of your clients as possible. There's a complexity inherent there that it's never just one never. thing. It's never one um, it's never one thing. And it's it's an evergreen issue. Like if you think you've got it solved, maybe you do for a week, a month, for a little couple bit. of months. <laughs> yeah, right. But the world around you is not static, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the needs of the marketplace aren't static, the needs of the clients aren't static. Your your offering isn't static, your right. staff isn't static, right? You have to com- continually inspect evaluate and evolve. Um, and, and that's really, that's really the basis of, of what I think is, is really one of the most important, if not the most important attributes an individual or organization can have. And that's the ability to look in the mirror and see what's really there, not what you want to see, but good and bad. What are the things we're doing? Well, what are the things we must do better? What are our learnings? And then how do we apply them? I love it, man. I, I think one of the things that we see regularly with some of our client work at CX Chronicles, Chuck, is like we'll do um, updated journey maps. And one of the big parts that we kind of pull out of some of the some of the journey mapping exercises that we do with these incredible teams is we'll we'll start to identify these what we call these milestone moments across the journey. And you are spot on. There is never just one milestone moment. If anything, you typically have multiple milestone moments in the marketing function of the journey. Then you've got one or two key milestone moments in the sales or the actual the actual uh, contracting part of the journey. Then you've got a plethora of milestones in the CX and the CS side once you get to customer success because I mean, you were kind of talking and joking about this earlier before jumping into today's show. Like, you know, every piece of software, or every technology company's got a totally different path and a totally different journey for how you can get your users to that mastery state, right? How do you graduate them or how do you help uh, guide them through the, the the thirty, the sixty, the ninety. In some cases, man, some some pieces of technology. To your point, they're constantly changing. So theoretically, somebody's got to be doing biweekly or monthly or minimally quarterly business reviews to make sure that you're you're going along the right type of steps. You're you're bringing them if they want to go north, you're bringing them north. If they want to go south, you're bringing them south. And 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 really, that's just such another huge place that a lot of growth focused companies, they almost miss out that guiding that journey and being that strategic advisor, or being that mariner, or being that, that person that's helping to guide the customer along the journey. That is where a huge part of the value piece comes in or the time to value piece comes in. Where many of us CX and CS focus, CX people were constantly focused on time to value and we think about it yeah. in the product, but we miss that time to value also equals the people side that you're getting to Chuck, which is like product and technology is one part of it. That's literally one part of it. But the people side of it and the relationship side of it and the expectation side of it and the and, and the being a, a partner on the journey, that's another easy place for a lot of our listeners to be to be thinking about how you can bring that back to your business today or bring that back that back to your team today and make sure that you're actually thinking about it because it's a huge part of it. I agree. And you know, if you're sitting internally, the folks that are watching this 
and you're having conversations internally and product is saying this is a service issue and service is saying this is a product issue, everybody's wrong. It's yeah. both. Yeah, it's both. 100%. And by the way, having those conversations, if you're not having those conversations across CXCS product sales marketing, first major uh, strike right there because th having those conversations typically leads to how you can unpack it, how you can agree upon it, and then how you can actually build an appropriate plan of action forward to make sure that you're starting to improve upon those. So I love it. Um, Chuck, I'd love to dive into the, the the second CX pillar of tools, man. So spend a minute or two talking about some of the tools the Market Muse team has had to kind of use just to build your own business. And then I'd love to for you to spend a minute or two kind of talking about the the Market Muse tool and some of the some of the ways that your customers are getting a gain and getting a benefit and getting uh, all this uh, additional support from Market Muse, managing their content, optimizing their content, and thinking about how they can produce, you know, just incredible content as they grow and scale their businesses. Sure. So number one, internally, um, I mean, tools are uh, a, a critical investment to make. You know, so much of of your brand that attracts people to to your company to work for you is, you know, their evaluation of can I be successful here. And so much of being successful is harnessing the efficiency that technology can drive, yep. right? You have to make it easy for your employees, but more importantly, you have to make it easier for your customers. Yeah. You know, I, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but you know, I, my dad was, was, you know, really successful in his career and, and he was a, a sales leader expectation back in the day was, you know, he would come in on a Monday morning, he'd grab his travel itinerary, he'd, he'd travel until Friday. And if everybody, anybody called, they'd be like, hey, yeah, Charlie's out for the week. He'll call you next week. Yeah, right. Call you next week. Can you imagine that now? <laughs> not not in his world, man. <laughs> the expectation of accessibility has it demands that as as organizations, we are there for our clients when they need us. Yep. Right. Yep. So whether that's Pendo, that's Drift, that's Salesforce, you know, all all the different things that are in our our stack, what they are all about is informing our employees so the information they need to service their clients is accessible to them at any time. And to make sure that you can service our customer in the way that they prefer, right? Whether that's email, phone, text, drift, what have you, social media, LinkedIn. How do they want to engage you? Yep. You need to be there. Yep. Um, regarding Market Muse, um, we help our clients throughout the the content creation journey. Okay. So, and I'll, you know, obviously be brief about this, but content creation starts with a bunch of people in a room, right? And they're looking at each other going, what should we write about? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the answer to that question all too often is subjective based on personal experience and bias. What we do is we inject data into that decision, right? The first thing a company does when they become a client of Market Muse is we load their content inventory into our platform. Okay. That enables them for the first time to see their content through the prism of our functionality, where we're 
showing them relative to topical authority and subject matter expertise, how strong that content is. So they can very quickly identify content that they've written that given the topical authority they've created and who they are, it's written about the right thing, but it's not performing because it's not optimized. We can also highlight for them gaps in their content inventory where given who they are, we know that if they write comprehensively on certain topics, that content will perform. So you think about that risk mitigation where they can place bets knowing that if they write content there, if they direct their limited resources in that direction, that they will realize the payoff for it, right? We then move them to the content creation part, which is that we, we provide them with that same intelligence that tells them very prescriptively, if you're writing a piece of content on this topic, number one, needs to be about 2,500 words long. It needs to focus on these subtopics. This is the depth with which you need to cover each of these subtopics. These are the questions you need to answer because somebody that does a search on this, these are the answers they're looking for. Yep. Yep. We also, in our platform, can even provide them with technical SEO recommendations, both internal content and potentially external non-competitive content, okay. that if they link to that content, it's going to enhance their topical authority, enhance that, that piece of content's ability to perform. I love that. I think, you know, number one, what it, what it immediately makes me think about, Chuck, is like, for so many of the folks, the guys and gals that are building a growth-focused business, building a part of an early executive leadership team where, let's just call it what it is, it's really, really hard to get your first couple hundred thousand dollars, to get your first million dollars in ARR, even harder. But then typically, once you kind of, once you hit some of those, those certain milestones, there's like that flywheel effect that happens. You kind of figure out what the pipeline does. You figure out who the ICP is. You figure out which milestone moments actually accelerate conversion and accelerate, you know, helping to make deals squeal. But there's my point here is this. And a lot of these growth focused companies, it's not content experts or content specialists or people that have been thinking about this stuff forever and kind of understand some of the granularities or some of the different ebbs and flows that you just kind of called out for us. I mean, I, I can I can assure you some of the customers are working with right now, you've typically got heads of sales, heads of marketing, you've got heads of customer success. They're taking the things that they're living, feeling, breathing, hearing from the customers every day or from the market, and they try to bring it back. They're trying to do their articles. They're obviously positioning for some of that credibility or some of that market-based positioning around, hey, like here's some of the things that we're seeing with our customers. Anyone else that want, wants to kind of take some of this and run with it, please feel free to use our content. But you just made me realize, and I probably probably every one of our listeners realize, this is way more scientific. It's way more mathematical. There is absolutely rights versus wrongs, best practices. And I, I, my, my point is what you're making me kind of realize here, Chuck, is like for some of the folks that are building these tomorrow's you know unicorns and building these growth-focused companies today, any type of help, any type of structuring, any, any type of templatization and or optimization paths that you could be taking, man, it makes your... It makes your work that much more meaningful. It makes your work that much more, um, you know, beneficial to trying to actually do what you're doing it for. You're trying to attract attention, get another set of eyeballs, get another click, get another potential lead or opportunity in the pipeline, so that you can have the conversation about what your business or what your solution or what your team can do to make their lives better, to make their make their day to day business. So, really awesome ideas there, man. And I think um, it makes a lot of sense as to why you've been able to help so many different customers, kind of thinking about how they can optimize this space in their own worlds. 
Um, yeah. Um, what, and the last comment I'd make on that, everything you just said ties up to me in, in one sentence, which is that successful content creation requires that you create content with purpose. Yes. You've got to create that content, not because, oh God, you know, we're supposed to publish X amount of pieces. Yeah, right, right. What's the business goal? Yeah. How do we get there? And if you do that, that will lead you to the success that you need. Yep. That makes a ton of sense. Purpose, purpose-based content curation has got to be something that every one of our listeners is thinking about. Chuck, I'd love to dive into the third CX pillar of process. So as you guys have grown the business, as you've grown the customer portfolio, and certainly as you've grown the team, right? Because you got this great team um, uh, uh, at, at Market Muse that you're building. I'd love to just kind of hear some of the things that have kind of worked for you guys to sort of manage uh, your living playbooks or manage your standing and operating procedures. Or how do you guys sort of chronicle or keep track of all the different things that you're learning from your customers or learning from your internal teams on a day-to-day basis. I'd love to kind of hear you talk about process for a couple of minutes and, and give us some ideas for how you guys have sort of wrangled that as you've scaled the business. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit before um, when, when we talked about, about introspection. Um, I hired uh, or we hired in Q4 of last year, uh, Lauren Mecca, uh, to be our, our vice president of customer experience. Um, she was an absolute perfect fit for us and, and just a huge transformative hire. Uh, she had worked in you know five or six different uh, startups leading CX in her career, and then most recently had been a, a CX consultant that we engaged with. Awesome. Uh, and, and what she has helped instill in me more than anything is that you know, if, if you've got a bunch of folks in a room, you know, talking about um, their perception of the client experience, you're going to get it wrong. <laughs> what you need to actually do is talk to the freaking client. 100%. Um, and, and we have gone out of our way over the last six months to proactively secure uh, client feedback. And you know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, you know, sometimes you hear great stuff. Sometimes you don't. Yeah, sometimes you get the, you get the other you know, direction, Chuck. Yeah, sometimes it's like, ouch. Okay, yeah, yeah it well, can be painful. Right, but you know that again. It's going back to that phrase I used before about about looking in the mirror and seeing what's what's really there. Yeah. Right. Yep. If you don't secure client feedback until middle of October, when you reach out to that company that's supposed to renew in December, it's too late. Way too late. You're out of time. It's done. Yeah. Right. We, we have, we have at minimum quarterly in-depth touch points with our clients that all conclude with the same question or two questions. What do you need from us? And if you had to renew today, would you love it? Right. And again, sometimes you're like, you know, like, what are they going to say? You know, and it may make an uncomfortable three minutes if they look at you and go, you know, something I'm not sure, or no, not right now. Right. But that, then that opens the conversation gate to, okay, why? Yep. I have a a dear friend of mine, Chris Del Torrio, who's a sales trainer that, that talks about why as a discovery mechanism where you just, why? Yep. And they give you an answer, why? And keep going, not until they think you're a sketch, 
but <laughs> but the, you can you can peel back several layers of the onion there. Yeah, big time. And find out and find out the truth that is actionable, so you can fix things. Yeah, and that's what we focus on. I, I love that you bring that up, Chuck, because it's funny. A lot of a lot of folks they kind of they think that there's like a one playbook fits all approach to businesses, and it's not ever the case. Maybe outlines. Maybe there's certain outlines or certain formatting things that you can definitely bring across different businesses, different industries, different leadership groups. That's 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 fine, totally. But I love your point about the whys. I talk about five whys all the time. If you can go five whys deep with somebody, typically yeah. you can unpack a lot. Right? Like to your point, you're you're, you're taking different parts of the onion apart, but the other thing too is you're pushing on i think what really truly matters most you're trying to hone in on a, on multiple wise you're trying to hone in on the the essence of why somebody thinks a thing or feels a way or and 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 it's funny because same thing with, with with many of the teams that we've worked with they'll want just like a high level conversational workflow or they'll want a high level template around customer listening tours or customer scorecards when you're trying to get better at helping a large team master their customer outreach and I hate to say it, man, but like, this is one of those things where I do believe there's certain people that are just better suited for customer success, customer experience, customer management. And it's the conversational piece. It's the, some people call it the gifted gab or, or, or having the ability to be a conversationalist. But the reality is folks that can do that really well or enjoy doing that really well, or, or just are good at it. They're doing five whys without it even feeling like five whys just happened. It's repositioning a comment. It's let me understand, Chuck, let me understand. You, you mentioned this. Let me unpack that a little bit. Further. And so it's like getting really good at doing that over time. You're unearthing so much gold and so much wisdom and knowledge from one of your perspective, one of your, either one of your prospects or one of your actual existing customers that it's, again, it's building that relationship. It's building trust. It's building transparency and thinking about Chuck tells me three things. I'm going to tell him three things about myself that so that there's like a feeling of he's not the only one sharing here. I'm sharing too. And I, I tell you, a lot of companies, especially these growth focused companies, their founders might be good at that. That's why they, they can find acceleration and getting your getting your traction is relatively easy. But when they start to scale, managing that to a team of individuals that might not have that same skill set, that's a different, that's a different ballgame. It can be hard to kind of get that, but that's why it's it's imperative that you're constantly coaching, supporting, and managing your team to think about how they can impact that, how they can up, uh, update or, or, or really kind of hone the way that they're doing their conversational skills. The last thing is this feedback. I love your point about looking in the mirror, man. I was going to say like, you think about who's the most honest people in your life. It's probably your best friends and your family, right? They tell you exactly as it is. They don't care if you're a, a DECA millionaire, or if you're a, a janitor at the local school, they're going to tell you exactly what they love about you, exactly what they hate about you, exactly what you need to do more of, less of. And sometimes we want that free advice. Sometimes we don't, but but it's almost like you're right, man. There's something about being self-aware, looking in the mirror as an organization. I'm saying, sorry, I'm making the parallel here, but as an organization, if you're not doing those regular mirror checks or those those regular candor checks where like there's open, honest 360 type of feedback where people are kind of showing you what they see, what they hear, what they feel from a variety of different angles, awesome place to get started because it's a really easy way that you can improve like that, like overnight, just getting some of that candid feedback and having some of those mirror checks is a fantastic way to see how you can kind of improve and, and, and make the right types of pivots or changes as you move into the next quarter or the next month or the next year. So awesome ideas there, Chuck. Good stuff. Um, okay. Last, I'd love to dive into the last uh, CX uh, pillar of feedback. And we started to hit on this and you mentioned some of the awesome things that you and the team are doing, but I'd love to kind of just get a sense for, so you mentioned regular check-ins, you mentioned surveys, you mentioned uh, some of the other ways that you're getting feedback. I'd love to just along your own journey. It might, doesn't even have to be market news, Chuck, but like what have been like one or two things that have just made it 
so much easier for you to understand how to, as an executive, how to keep your focus. And so like when I'm saying, and, I, and maybe one, one of the done extremely well for the customer feedback side to keep focus. And what are some of the things that you've seen that have worked like the gym on the employee feedback side to, to, to keep focused? Okay. Well, let me take the employee first and then I'll move, I'll move out to the client employee. You cannot client employees, excuse me, cannot perform at a high level and exceed expectations unless they know very clearly what those expectations are. I've been in leadership for a long time, and I have found that more often than not, that the communication of expectation of expectations that leaders assume they've provided is not something that their people share. Um, I, I think very often employees are searching and trying to find their way. You know, I, I've I've talked often from a performance management standpoint about you know if you go to put somebody on a performance improvement plan, and they're surprised, that's not on the employee. That's on, that's on the leader. Definitely. Right? So we we have gone out. You know, and and this is iterative, but we have you know with purpose created um, you know objective key result OKR expectations uh, for the company and. You know, it's easy to set up individual OKRs. It's difficult to do it right. Yep. All right. Because what you have to do is first set up the OKRs that reflect the company goals and then build out the departmental or leadership OKRs and then the individual OKRs. And the individual contributors need to understand that what they're being measured against ties directly to the team goals, which tie directly to uh, the corporate goals. Um, and it's been, I'm not going to, you know, uh, I'll be very transparent in stating that one of the things we've experienced with our OKRs being a growth stage company is that those company goals are not static. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they pivot as Absolutely. frequently, you know, a couple times a year. Yeah. And if you're doing it right, that means everybody else's goals need to shift and change yeah. while you're continuing to provide feedback. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that internally is is how, you know, we're managing expectations around corporate team and individual performance. I Chuck, before you before you dive sure, off that one. Ahead. I, I love that you called this out, man, because I've seen this at so many growth focused businesses. And typically you have these leaders who came from, I'm just going to be super, super direct with everyone. They come from large, organized, billion dollar businesses that actually have the luxury and the ability of sitting on, say, a quarterly OKR set where things are already so built, so perfectly managed, so perfectly staffed, so perfectly oriented, maybe even decades of performance to show why the quarter is going to focus on these big things. When you go to a growth-focused startup that is building and finding new ICPs every damn day, you're finding different pipeline hacks every single solitary day, you're finding different CX and CS hacks every single day, I would argue even monthly OKRs can be difficult at times because of what you're, what you're pointing out to everybody. It's like 
man, the ship is changing constantly in the beginning of the journey. You're, you're, you're trying to get out to port to get out to sea. You're taking different canals. You're going through it. So like this, I, so it's, I love that you're bringing this up, this idea of be mindful of what type of business you are. Be mindful of what type of executive leadership team you are right now. If you have the ability to set a quarterly OKR set, beautiful, great. You got 90 days of focus and then the team kind of see what's going to be the next three months. When you're building in the bonfire stage, I always love to call it, you're constantly just looking for the next piece of wood to throw on the damn fire to keep it going. So it's like, you do need to be thoughtful around sort of what that perfect cadence looks like for your business and for your leadership team. It'll make a world of difference once you start rolling these OKRs, OKRs out to your team and to your business and trying to get people to row the boat in the right direction. So I just wanted to add that in because I couldn't agree more. I'm happy you called that up. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And the other thing you'd mentioned to me is focus. Um, you know, I, and I think this goes back to, you know, my sales background. Um, I don't end my day and walk away from my desk until I organize the next day. Um, I mean, and people are probably going to laugh at me. I got eight and a half and 11. No <laughs> hey, that's okay, I, man. That's okay. We go old school, whatever. I love it. Um, but I, I don't spend the first hour of my day organizing myself for that day. I don't have that time. Right. Um, I, I organize my day, um, the things I got to get done, the things I hope to get done, uh, so that when I wake up, I can pin my ears back and, and go. Yep. Um, and just that, that's my own individual process that has served me well for, well, a while. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Chuck, look, man, this has been an absolute pleasure. I love the things that you and the team at Market Muse are working on. Tons of awesome insights and just ideas for our listeners to take right back to their business and to their team today. So I love it. Uh, before we wrap up today's show, a couple of things. Where can people find out more about uh, where they can get in contact with you, sir? And where can people find out how they can learn more about the awesome things that your team is doing at Market Muse today? Well, make it, make it super easy. About the company, you can just jump up to our website you know, marketmuse.com. Me personally, um, my email is charles at marketmuse.com. Couldn't be more straightforward than that. You can also hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I give you my word. Um, I may not reply immediately, but if you reach out to me, I, I will I will reply and I'm happy to schedule time with anybody that would like to just talk and, and learn more. I'd love I love to it. One more time I love it, Chuck. Thank you so much for coming on the CX Chronicles podcast, sharing your story, sharing your journey. Um, awesome things you guys are working on. Plus, I, I, I absolutely look forward to keeping our conversation moving offline because you've given me a ton of ideas today, especially about the content curation, content optimization, content socialization ideas. Guys, this is gonna. If you're not, think, if your company, your leadership team isn't talking about these buzzwords. You need this is a this is the easiest thing Chuck and I can give to you guys today. Go and tell them right now they got to be thinking about this stuff. This is how tomorrow's leading businesses are going to get put on the roadmap, and this is how they're going to be uh, dominating their competition and winning customers over for the future. So I love it, Chuck. Thank you so much for joining the CXC, man. Adrian, appreciate the time. It's good talking to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. We're thrilled to have you as a part of the CX Nation, tuning in to customer-focused business leaders from across the world. Be sure to check out the CXC website, and as always, find us on any of your favorite podcast players, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks so much for making this show a reality and being a part of the CX Nation. And as always, folks, remember to make happiness a habit.